Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. We've made it to Friday, December 1st. I'm your host, Stephen Overley. After the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year, there was a data privacy call to action. Privacy advocates, and also I would say women's rights advocates, came out and they were like, stop tracking your periods immediately. This is Ruth Reeder. She covers health tech here at Politico and was reporting on the fallout at the time. All that data could potentially be used against you if law enforcement subpoenas that data to try and prosecute you. So many people quit period tracking apps. From June to October of 2022, roughly 1.3 million Americans stopped using them. That's according to the firm Data.ai. But that number didn't stay down. In fact, it bounced back and then climbed. Now, there are 14.6 million people in the U.S. using these apps every month. Abortion access has changed considerably since the Dobbs decision. About half of the U.S. states now have some form of restrictions in place. But the landscape for privacy protections is changing, too. On the show today, Ruth explains why a number of those initial privacy fears still exist. But the data that's most concerning to advocates isn't the same. More people are using these apps than even before the Dobbs decision. Yeah. But these privacy concerns that were being warned about so intensely still exist, at least to some degree and in some places. So in terms of what privacy laws have been put in place, I know there have been a few, like Washington State, for instance. Mm -hmm. What exactly has changed on that front in the last year? So the state level is mixed. To your point about Washington State, Washington State passed the My Health, My Data Act over the summer, is definitely an act that was created in response to the overturning of Roe and was absolutely meant to, and is probably the first law, the first state-level law that directly protects health data that falls outside of HIPAA. And so really what it does is it protects any data online related to a person's physical or mental health. And the law has limits on collecting geofence data. So like your phone is picking up where you are at all times, right? Your phone is sort of (laughs) tracking you at all times. And so data related to you being outside or inside of or anywhere near a mental health provider or let's say an abortion clinic provider or any kind of health provider, that data is now protected in Washington state. Companies now have to obtain consent for data sharing. They also have to, if a company wants to sell your health data, a person has to opt into that. You can't Mm -hmm. just like start doing it. And it also gives individuals the right to access their own data and also delete it. It covers a lot. And subsequently, there have been two states that have created similar laws, and that's Nevada and Connecticut. So that's sort of a really interesting move that's happened. And that Washington state law will apply to both companies that are based there, but also residents of Washington who are consumers of those products. So it hits a lot of people. (laughs) Right. And like you said, some states are starting to copy it. And we do sort of see that trend where once a law passes in one state, you kind of see some states either just copy and paste that law or maybe adapt it a bit for their own purposes. 
The Federal Trade Commission and the work that they've been doing on this has included trying to crack down on health apps that share this data, especially with third parties like Google or Meta that you know can can use it for digital advertising. What has been the effect of that campaign? So the FTC has decided that health data is like within its scope and it wants to protect it, right? So it's actually gone directly after a period tracking app, Flow Health. And I imagine, though I don't know that it's cracked down on Flow Health was sort of like a warning to all period trackers. So in the wake of that action, I think a lot of period trackers sort of fixed their data privacy policies so that that data could not be used the way that it was sort of forewarned to be used, you know, in sort of legal proceedings or actions against people who have sought abortions. When the way the FTC kind of works is to, like, make an example of somebody as a a warning shot to industry and then others follow suit, for sure. Absolutely. But so that's not the only one, though. So the FTC went after a data broker explicitly called Kochava, and I believe that the company preemptively sued and then a judge dismissed it. And now the FTC has refiled its case against this company. So that's still working its way out. But what's interesting is that it sued over geotracked data. It was another one of these cases that was really designed to look at data that might be used within the context of someone seeking an abortion. There are two other cases worth talking about in this context, which is it sued a company called GoodRx, and it also went after a company called BetterHelp. And in both of these cases, it took on health data, data that was shared with third parties like Meta and Google for the purposes of advertising. And it said the way that it shared consumer data in these cases was unfair because neither company was explicit or clear about its data sharing practices. Mm. And so that was under sort of its very like bread and butter unfair trade practices. And then it also has this newer tool called the Health Breach Notification Rule, (laughs) which is a 2009 rule, which was really conceived of in this era when like data breaches were the big thing, right? So which is why it's called a breach notification rule. But the FTC says actually you know, kind of the way that the world has shaped up, this doesn't just account for data that has been lost in a breach. This also accounts for unauthorized sharing of data. And so that is how it it is also sort of using its enforcement, is to say, hey, if you have health data about a person that is personally identifiable, and you share that, and you haven't set up your privacy rules in such a way that like people really know that that's what you're doing, or that's sort of a part of the service, we can get you on that. You know, you have these layers of privacy. It's very like patchwork in the most, you know, we always talk about like patchwork of laws. And that's it's like, the word I was thinking of exactly. it's extremely that. And that creates a very complicated legal landscape for people. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. And we're back. 
it strikes me that there are sort of, I'm sure more than two, but two that jump out to me kind of concerns in the privacy space here. One is healthcare data being, you know, used for monetization purposes, being sold to third parties, you know, commercialized essentially without people's knowledge or, or expressed consent. But then there's also now this question of specifically with period tracking data, whether it can be used as evidence in criminal cases in places where abortion is illegal or there are restrictions. Is anything that the FTC is doing on this aimed specifically at that latter use case where it's used as sort of potentially evidence in some sort of criminal investigation? So when I talked to a lawyer about this and he was like, well, it depends on where. <laughs> like, where are you? What states are we talking about? So, like, let's take a look at one case study. In Idaho, a woman and son were charged with kidnapping because the son of this woman, his girlfriend, got an out-of-state abortion. She went to Oregon to get an abortion. So, like, what laws are at play in Idaho, right? In terms of privacy laws, I don't think that there is much that would protect them. Idaho is not a state that has data protection rules along the lines of, like, my health, my data. Idaho, you know, it's illegal, so there's definitely no sort of, like, a shield law, which we didn't even talk about. But there are these laws in certain states that seek to protect a person who's getting an abortion. And so those can also have some privacy implications as well, because, you know, a healthcare provider can't, like, give up data to law enforcement agencies in another state, potentially. Hmm. So that's sort of another layer, right? But that would also only protect the person who is actually getting an abortion, whereas some of these state abortion laws, you know, people who aid and abet an abortion can get in trouble. Right. So... And, like, what are the protections for them, for their data privacy? It's not really their health data, right? So what are the circumstances? Who's getting in trouble? So that's sort of, like, where we are. Unless you fall into one of these, like, if this is happening in Washington, Connecticut, or Nevada, you know, and not even immediately. I think Washington states doesn't take effect until March, and the other two just happened so, or happened more recently. So I'm not sure that those are in effect yet either. So like, this is, <laughs> this is the landscape, right? And for women who are seeking abortions, I would say it's complicated in the sense that also where are your communications happening? Like, you know, probably it's not going to be your period tracker that does you in at this point. I think given sort of to our conversation earlier about the FTC, probably not period trackers, but like your web messages on Facebook, maybe. Right. We've seen these cases where, you know, Facebook messages, text messages, internet search history, all of that sort of digital data has been used in criminal investigations as evidence. And so right. it seems to be that that's sort of where some of this concern comes from, where, you know, right. did we know that digital evidence can and has been used. And so it seems like what health advocates, privacy advocates have warned is that, you know, these peer tracking apps are potentially then kind of a treasure trove of evidence if law enforcement goes after them. Right. Though I don't know if that's really true at this point, because I think period trackers have tried to step up their privacy policies such that, that they wouldn't have the data to give over in some cases, right? But cell phone data... So in the case of these mother and son that have been charged with kidnapping, that was cell phone data that ultimately enabled law enforcement to prosecute. 
And that's just, you know, geo-tracking, right, or messages. And that's sort of where it's complicated, right? Because even in the case of these health data protections, that's not necessarily going to cover your messages. Right. And so I guess with that in mind, you know, we, we have this state patchwork. You have these different data sets that can and have been used in these Cases, I mean, what do privacy advocates want, essentially? What's the solution here? You know, is it some sort of federal privacy legislation or what are they looking for? I mean, yes, you know, everybody would love a federal privacy law, but it does not seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. I think right. is sort of the <laughs> the vibe. And what I've heard from lawyers covering this is that what's more likely to happen is actually you're going to see more states sort of take a crack at this, right? Mm. It's cooled off for now. We haven't seen as much activity lately in terms of states adopting new laws, and that could be just because, you know, end of year, and also we're about to head into an election cycle. But this is the kind of thing that you might be hearing in candidate speeches. Candidates that are seeking to, like, talk about abortion and abortion protections and data privacy protections. I mean, this is ripe territory. So it's possible we'll definitely start to hear more about this again. But in terms of a federal law, it's complicated, quite frankly, because, you know, now that there are these state laws, these states don't want a federal law to preempt what they're doing. Can we get a federal law that really protects people, I think, is a in a ways that the states can get on board with, I think is sort of complicated. No, but I, I think it's an interesting point about the ways this could show up on the campaign trail too. I mean, certainly, you know, we saw this in 2022, and I think we'll see again in 24, where abortion access is a very hot topic that particularly Democrats will will want to talk about. And I think you're right that you, you could see some real discussions of data privacy around this. People are more aware now, more concerned about their data privacy and how their information is used. You know, they are creeped out by it, to put it in sort of layman's terms. And so, yeah, I could certainly see that this becoming a, a topic on the campaign trail, especially at the state level where, you know, some of these, like you said, where these privacy laws actually have gotten some traction and may actually be able to pass. Yeah, I think it's really notable that two other states have adopted similar measures because it's not always what happens, right? You know, Illinois has its biometric data law that nobody else has. Right. These privacy laws don't always take off, you know, in the same ways. But this one does seem to be resonating. Right. And the law be tested in the courts. And yes, and the, the absence yeah. of and the, <laughs> the recurring theme, you know, in the absence of Washington, D.C. passing its own laws and regulations, yeah. the state governments and courthouses become sort of the incubator for any of this policymaking. Well, Ruth, fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on Politico Tech. Thanks so much for having me. It was great chatting. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our producers are Annie Reese, Kara Tabor, and Philip Frobos. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you back here on Monday. Thank you.